Welcome to the Dr. Bugdale Podcast. I could not be more excited to have someone on the show that I'm such a huge fan of. Uh, Bedros Koulian is a guy who really doesn't need much of an introduction. I think everyone pretty much knows you, or at least most people in my audience know who you are. But for those who don't, uh, you're the CEO of the international franchise Fit Body Bootcamp. Um, you have like a very large platform where you are a mentor for, for entrepreneurs and business owners and all kinds of folks. Um, you're obviously a huge social media influencer and personality. Um, and uh, I just couldn't be more psyched to have you in front of me, man, and get, get your brain and share, share your story with my audience. Well, Dr. Mudgill, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. Let's rock and roll. All right, let's do it, man. So just like, you know, like I said, I was kind of binging on your story and your content, although I knew bits and pieces of it. You know, I was really kind of doing a deep dive today before we were speaking. And so I know, you know, you, your family was originally from Armenia. Your family escaped communism. You got here to the States and we're really living kind of like a subsistence lifestyle, you know, like you were moving around a lot. You're, you know, you obviously had very, very humble roots. You know, there was some dumpster diving that, you know, was really, you needed to survive here. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that there's so many phrases that you use, so many catchphrases that I love. Um, but one of the things that you talked about in, in somewhere I was reading was how you kind of went from having a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. And, you know, there, there, was a, there was a turning point in your life that led to that. But before we get into all of that, can you talk to me a little bit about this, the, the mindset of scarcity and how, like, you know, you grew up and, you know, how, how hard it was and, you know, how that kind of feeds your mindset and your hustle now? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So, <clears throat> you know, it's funny, when you come from humble beginnings and i and i know you can relate to this when you come from humble beginnings in my case we come from armenia it was under communist rule part of soviet union i was six years old when we came here um you know we lived in section eight housing and as you implied we did find a giant dumpster behind a grocery store and we found out that they throw away food that's been expired and so they can't sell it so my dad would pull put me into the dumpster and i'd fish out bread and and cheese and milk and all this stuff that we could eat um, but at some point you begin to run out of money. And I remember hearing my dad say, we're running out of money before we run out of month. And that, that phrase kind of stuck with me. And he would say to an Armenian that we're running out of money before we run out of month. And that's where he would have to go and find a paper route or mow somebody's lawn to kind of make more money and piece things together. And so that started to create this scarcity mindset in me that there's never enough. There's never enough. Like for us as immigrants, as foreigners to this country, there's never going to be enough. And when you grow up and you've kind of, I guess, programmed yourself with a scarcity mindset, anything you do with a filter of scarcity, you're never really going to be successful at, man. And it wasn't until... I became a personal trainer and my first personal training client, his name is Jim Franco. He's a mentor of mine till this day, actually. He's in his 80s. And he started teaching me this whole idea of abundance, meaning the pie can get bigger. It's not like there's only so much pie. And if Dr. Mudgill gets more, then I get less. That If you and I work together, the pie can get bigger and we can all have a bigger slice. And that's the whole idea of abundance. There's more to be given to all of us as long as we can add value instead of always trying to extract value without ever adding. It's almost like you can't take out all the money out of the bank account if you're not constantly adding to it. You must be building that bank account. So, you know, to me, that mindset shift was a massive thing. And I realized very quickly, the abundance mindset is real simple. It just means instead of always thinking like a poor person, 
It's because there's a difference between being poor and being broke. And I talk about that in my book, Man Up. Being broke, like, yeah, I do really well today. International franchise, coach to like NFL athletes and Navy SEALs and, and eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. Listen, but I can make a couple of bad business moves and I could be broke again, but I'll never be poor. See, poor is a state of mind, meaning there's never enough money to go around. Broke is a series of bad decisions that got me broke, but I can get wealthy again. I can create wealth and I can create legacy again. And so that abundant mindset today that I carry, every relationship I showed up with, in fact, before this podcast even kicked off, I said, wait, tell me who your audience is and tell me how I can add value the most. Uh, instead of just saying, well, hey, you should, they should buy and read my book. They should use my franchise. They should whatever, right? And by learning your audience and knowing how I can add value, that is the idea of abundance. And whether your audience wants to share my content, buy my stuff or whatever, it's up to them. Yeah, I love that, man. And I, and I, and I love that line. That I love the difference between being poor and being broke because I think that's so powerful. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, um, I think it's, a, it's, it's from Tim Grover's book, Relentless, where sort of using the rage or, like, you know, that you had, like, you know, from just being kicked around as a kid and being bullied and all that sort of stuff. And he was talking to Dwayne Wade and saying, you know, for 48 minutes, it's got to be a controlled rage, you know? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a mindset of abundance and having controlled rage are like these diametrically opposed forces, but they can be used synergistically. And I think, you know, I, if you could just expound on that, I just thought that was such a great line. Yeah. So, so I'll actually share something with you that I don't think I've ever shared on a podcast. I've shared bits and pieces on a post, but I've never shared on a podcast or even in my book. Um, cause in my book, I talk about how I went and worked with a therapist. Cause you know, as a kid, I was, I was sexually abused as a kid in Armenia between the ages of four and six. And so you could imagine the trauma that I carried with me all the way into my late thirties when I finally dealt with it by going to a therapist. Um, and that came out through a series of massive anxiety attacks, but that's a story for another day. But as I was working with this therapist for 16 months, once a week for 16 months, his name is Kevin. I, um, I remember telling him, he goes, man, you sure have a lot of fire in your belly. I was like, Kevin, listen, man, I want you to help me get through my trauma. I want you to help me overcome these issues that I have, but do not remove the chip on my shoulder. Do not remove the fire in my belly. Do not remove the rage in my eyes. I believe that is a superpower for someone to be able to have this chip, as as my friend Tom Bilyeu says, firmly implanted on your shoulder is very important because, and the way Tom Bilyeu describes it, we were sitting in a green room one time, we were all about to speak. And I was like, Tom, you know, you really talk about that there's a need for rage. And why don't you tell me more about that? And he goes, look, the all emotions that we have, whether it's fear, it's doubt, it's, it's rage, it's love, passion, empathy, those are there because they're there to help us get through a time or a series of events. And so when people say, well, hey, you, sh- you shouldn't have that chip on your shoulder. No, you should, because there's times when all other avenues are exhausted, being kind, being sweet, being nice is exhausted. And you just have to use that rage or that chip on your shoulder to get through that next adversity. And the people that wronged you, the people that crossed you, the people that said you couldn't do it. I'm not saying go and fight them and wish ill on them, but do it to spite them. If that's all it takes is to get to the other side, to spite them and prove them wrong from years ago, do it. And so I really do believe that there is a superpower in being able to control that chip on your shoulder, the rage in your eyes, the fire in your belly. And when I read in um, Tim Grover's book where he talks about he was telling Dwayne Wade, look, you've got this, you're a young man, you've got this rage, but that rage is going to constantly get you benched unless you can control it. 
and focus that rage on getting that ball into that basket for 48 minutes, man. And when he did that, he just became the Dwayne Wade that we all know and love and just, you know, hold up on a pedestal. And I really, I knew long ago that was a superpower. So I said, help me develop me into a better person, but do not take that superpower away from me. Don't kill your mojo. Right. Hey man, I want to kind of dive into a little bit uh, of that, if you don't mind. Um, So I, I know like in one of the, one of the, pieces of content that I was reading um, that period you had with like the panic attacks and all that sort of stuff. That was actually not that long ago. Um, no, that no. was when you were doing the expansion of fit body bootcamp. And like, really you had already arrived at that point. You were already a millionaire at that point. You know, you're already successful, but you were went back and you were expanding your business and, you know, dealing with a partner and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that led to like this real like hardcore panic episodes of panic attack. And, you know, I think you had said, you know, there was some, using some substances to get through the days and, and all that, and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a couple of things there. So one is, and you don't have to, we can skip this question if, if, if you want, but what, around that is what, is that when you sought the help of a therapist, like around that time? Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason I, so, so I had this massive panic attack at the age of 38. This was about three years after launching fit body bootcamp with a business partner. And man, we couldn't see eye to eye if my life depended on it. You know, we were just, constantly at each other's throat. And I had this panic attack at the age of 38. I'm 45 now. So that's not too long ago when you think about it. And you're right. I was a millionaire. I had the fancy sports car, beautiful home that I still have now. Uh, Everything on the outside, everything was great. Inside, I was like, if this is what success is, then I wonder what a bullet tastes like. Because I just wasn't happy. I was held captive by my in my mind's eye, I was held captive by my franchisees. Like you said, we could never do anything enough to satisfy them. My employees hated me and I hated them. And my wife was constantly up against me. Like, if you hate your business partner so much, why don't you do something about it? And I'm like, it's not that easy. And every guy knows that, you know, your wife's job is to help push you. If you have a great wife, by the way, her job is to push you to your potential. Our wives are intuitive and they see it far more than we do, are to push you unfortunately, we tend to dig our heels in like a dog and go like, no, it's not that easy. It actually is. It's just one conversation. And it's all it took for me to say, let's just call him Bob, my business partner. Hey, Bob, we got to part ways. Either you take the franchise or I'm taking the franchise, but we can't both own the franchise. And then that was the domino that started this whole chain of events that where I became the CEO and founder of Fit Body Bootcamp. So, but I share this with you because the anxiety attack that I had was so severe when I was 38 years old. Dude, I've never had a heart attack, thankfully, knock on wood. But I was like, this is, I'm having a heart attack. This is how I go. And the next day when I'm telling my wife about it, she's like, dude, you're nuts. Let's go to a doctor and see what happened to you. And they do the EKG and all that shit. And they realize, all right, you probably seen, you're probably stressed. My wife's like, yes, he's stressed to the gills. He takes NyQuil and Vicodin to go to sleep every night. Adderall and tons of caffeine to wake back up. Um, and the doctor's like, you probably had a panic attack. I go, well, I don't want another one. He put me on Xanax, which was fine, other than the fact that I had no creativity and I'm drooling out the side of my mouth. I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I'm like an artist. As an entrepreneur, I'm like an artist. I need to create. And if I can't, I can't create, I don't want this. I go, what's my other option? He goes, well, you got to go work with a therapist. And after working with two shitty therapists, I found the third one, Dr. Kevin Downing out here in Brea in Orange County. And uh, the man is just amazing, man. He, he, every time I try to divert the question or skirt the question, he just went right at it. 
He was really good with building trust and rapport with me. And we spent the next 16 months, every Monday after work, I would drive to his office. Uh, some Mondays I was like, can I just pay your $220 and just sit on your couch and maybe just take a nap? He was like, no, but we can just have a lighter conversation today. Uh, and I got to tell you, Doc, that, that man, and I, I've sent 27 of my friends, colleagues, some of my Navy SEAL clients over to him to work with him when their own PTSD doctors couldn't help him. And I got to tell you, as uh, humans, we all suffer through some kind of trauma, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. These days, we're going through the whole George Floyd thing and Black Lives Matter thing. Like, listen, I've got friends that have been called the N-word. That creates trauma. Like if you are of African-American descent, you have been called names, you have been discriminated against, you have filters on of fear and of, of, of hate uh, towards you, you might want to work with a therapist. You've been sexually abused. You might want to work with a therapist. You've been physically abused. You might want to have a therapist that you can talk through, someone in, not related to, completely impartial, and he made the world of difference for me. So to answer your question, yeah, that's what led me to a therapist. Um, and I know I'm a rough and tumble guy and tough guys don't need therapists. I think I needed it more than ever. And I'm here to challenge every guy or gal who thinks they don't need it to just go spend time two or three sessions with a good therapist and then tell me you don't need it. So are there like tangible, like, you know, can you like precisely say like one or two things that your therapist actually like, you know, like very specific things that he helped you, yes. you know, get through. And now like you're more evolved because of it. Dude, 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 here it is. So I thought this thing was going to last three or four weeks, right? Because I'm like, look, I'm stressed out. I'm having panic attacks. They gave me uh, Xanax. I don't want to do Xanax because I'm a very outcome-driven guy. So I don't need a touchy-feely, let's go hug a tree and do all that shit. To me, it was just uh, fix me, and I need to go back to dominating the world. And he goes, what's your thing? I go, anxiety and stress and panic attacks. He goes, all right, you have to understand that anxiety is anticipation of future pain. I was like, oh, shoot, that's brilliant. You're right. I was having anxiety about a conversation I didn't want to have with my business partner about parting ways because we were also family friends and we had similar sports cars and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's anticipation of future pain. Ironically, he said action alleviates anxiety. So that thing that you're anticipating that's going to happen rarely is going to happen as bad as you think it is. When I told him, I said, hey, Bob, we need to sit down and part ways. I thought he was going to freak out, call me a greedy SOB. He's like, you know what? Yeah, this tension is going on far too long. Let's call our attorney and talk through this. Dude, within three days, we had an agreement set out on how we were going to part ways and how I was going to buy him out. It was nothing like I anticipated, yet I had months of anxiety over it. Right. So anxiety is anticipation of future pain. Number one, action alleviates anxiety. Number two, and he told, caught me halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're halting, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I'm more likely to have an anxiety attack. If you're an alcoholic, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're more likely to go hit the bottle. If you're a drug addict, you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're more likely to go back to that drug or pornography or whatever your vice is. And so I manage my halt, hungry, angry, lonely. If, if I've if I been working, because I'm a workaholic, if I've been working for weekends at a time, let me take a break, love up on my wife, love up on my kids, love my dog, and then go back to working. I was the guy that said, I'm not even gonna get up and pee until I finish and, and, and empty out my inbox of emails. That was a badge of honor. Well, that makes me angry when I've got a full bladder. And so if I'm hungry, angry, and how about you just stop, go use the restroom, come back. And so that's just on the anxiety side. As far as then that we, as we 
did a deep dive on the sexual abuse and what happened to me. And that wasn't even supposed to come up in that therapy session. If you want to want the truth, I trusted him so much that as he was saying goodbye on our last session at week four, he goes, by the way, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything with your family, with your past as a child? I'm like, dude, I come from a family of like, you know, my parents beat me and slapped me around, but that's the communist way. But to be honest, what happened to me as a kid was even worse than my parents beating me. And he goes, there was something worse than that. And I just started crying. A 38-year-old man just crying, right? And we spent the next 16 months after that doing a deep dive. But he literally walked me through my feelings that I was feeling, but I didn't have these words for it, Doc. And those feelings were a feeling of rage. Why did this happen to me? Shame. I'm so embarrassed this happened to me. And confusion. Did I do something to invite those two older boys to do that to me? And when you can process, when you can put words and feelings to uh, words to the feelings that you're experiencing and then process through every single one, it's like taking these giant mountains in your life and bringing them down to little speed bumps. They're no longer an obstacle in your way. Well, I love that, man. You know, it's, it's interesting because I've never gone through therapy or anything like that, but um, I do see that it's such, there's such value in it, you know, and I know a lot of, you know, my close, closest friends have, have gone through therapy to work through stuff. And you know, it really resonates. Like even when you're speaking into your iPhone on an Instagram post, like when you're in your car and the music is going, you're listening to like Wu-Tang Clan or something like that, then it's really, what you're saying is very evolved and, you know, it's very well thought out. And all of my friends and the people that I'm close with that have gone through therapy, it's like this like level of just being evolved that really comes through. And I really, I really sense that, you know? It's, Thank you. That means a lot. You have much more, you just have a lot of awareness, you know? Like when you're saying something, I really want to listen to it because I know there's going to be dropping some gems. Um, I mean, you got, you said so much there and there's so many, so many things I want to talk to you about. So I know one of the, so when that period was happening, you know, when you were kind of going through the panic attacks and stuff. You said this in one of the in one of the podcasts that I was listening to today. You said you, you use the fighter jet crop duster analogy a lot, and you know you were you were already a fighter jet. And one of the lines that you said was, you know, you were already you were already successful. You were building your business further. Then you had like you know all of the anxiety and stuff, and you had to work through that. And one of the lines you said, "There's different levels of fighter jets." It's like you know you were basically trying to become a faster jet, a more impressive jet, you know, and. Uh, my, I that really resonated with me because, like, like I was talking to you about earlier, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. It's, you know, I don't want to be stay on that plateau that I was on, and then really kind of like exist laterally on that plateau, like get more dermatology practices, build my business more, because it really didn't appeal to me. I was already at the top of my game, and as as a doctor in New York City, I want to do something that was more meaningful, more fulfilling for me. You know, again, become a better fighter jet. You know, to use your analogy, yeah. can you talk about that a little bit, man? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you let's let's use you as an example here, Doc, because you know, on the surface, and, and you nailed it. And I, actually, I've got one friend who's very similar as you, Doctor Mark Casas. He's a dentist. He owned seven dental practices in Prescott, Arizona, and he came to me. He's like, man, uh, I'm unfulfilled. Like, I don't. What do I open eighth practice, ninth practice? Do I start coaching dentists? And we figured out his path. And ironically, it was by way of coaching dentists. And what we found was coaching dentists and helping the ones who didn't belong in dentistry get out of dentistry because we've all heard about the high suicide rate. And part of it is because they're always telling you, you know, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Well, they're saying I hate dentists, but they really are telling you. And so soon that Im impacts on you. But Let's just use an example. You're an established doctor, two practices, one in New York City. You're part of a country club where you used to, as a young man, valet park the cars. 
like on the surface, you made it. And, you know, I, I, you know, maybe there's a Rolex, maybe there's a Cartier on your wrist, whatever there was. And, and I can relate to that. Th- there you go. <laughs> right. Like I know the archetype. I get it. And if you look at my wrist, ironically, I've got two giant watch cases of about $400,000 worth of timepieces that I don't wear even my watches anymore because I've just been so freed. But th- the point is this. What we realized very quickly, I'm like, man, all right, $50 million empire, $200 million empire, and I still feel the same, the same amount of pressure, the same amount of, I thought there would be something better once I got here. Was I fooled? And then I realized, wait a minute, one of the most basic human needs is significance. It's not more money. Money, you only need enough money to solve the problems of not having money. After that, you use money as a vehicle to meaning. And again, another lesson from Kevin. There should be this whole episode should be called "Lessons from Kevin Downing." You shouldn't even be interviewing me. You should be, but he says, "Look, Bedros, people need money and meaning. You've developed seven businesses that all generate millions of dollars, and you come here excited, telling me about the eighth business idea that you have." He goes, "Maybe you're using your business as a way to isolate and insulate yourself, and as a pedestal to step on. What about a charity that you can donate to, a cause that you can believe in?" And while I was donating to Shriners Children's Hospital, it was haphazardly. Since then, over the last seven years now, we've donated millions of dollars to Shriners Children's Hospital, Toys for Tots, 91 kids adopted through Compassion International because I intentionally and deliberately, instead of starting business number nine and 10, I'd rather chase significance, impact, influence, right? And so I realized very quickly that I can now make less money, not that I want to and I won't because I use money as a vehicle to impact, but I can make less money and be happier because I've figured out the secret and the secret is significance. It is a very basic human need. Just like certainty is a very basic human need. I want to be certain I'm going to take my next breath of air. I want to be certain that I have air conditioning and that I have a building to live in and food to eat. But then after certainty, we want a little uncertainty in our life. It's another basic human need. I want to shake things up. I don't want to eat pizza all the time. I want to eat a burger from every now and again. So, and just like certainty and uncertainty, significance is one of the top basic human needs. And as I realized that is a part of impact and influence, I really focused in on that. And as a, you know, as a family, we donate to those three causes. We're highly involved in them. I created the project, which is a men's development program. And through the project, we're helping charities and causes that we believe in. And man, I am happier. I sleep better at night, have more peace of mind than I've ever had. Where going from 50 million to 100 million to a 200 million dollar company didn't solve the problem, significance and impact did. Man, that's so so well said. I think so powerful, man. It's really it really is true. Um, talk to me. You know, a lot of high achievers have a like a very established morning routine or morning ritual. Yeah, that they do, and and you know, I think it's it's sort of a uniform. <laughs> thing and everyone kind of does the same thing uh more or less but talk to me a little bit about your morning routine man sure sure uh, yeah it's probably not much different than yours or any other high achiever that you said and, and to that point anyone watching or listening to this should understand that success leaves clues and so if the great doctor here does it and i do it and then you see uh, ed Milet and then tom billy doing it well there might be a clue there that you ought to do it as well but I go to sleep between 10 and 10.30 usually, and my alarm is set to go off at 5.30 in the morning. Now, if I wake up anywhere between 5 and 5.30 on my own, I just get up. And uh, I don't fall back asleep at, 10, uh, at 5.15 and then get groggy when my alarm goes off. 
I have a rule that I never hit the snooze button because if you hit the snooze button on your alarm, you're really, your first action of the day is a L. It's a loss instead of a W, instead of a win. I want to stack as many wins as possible. So I'm not going to break that promise that I set to myself the night before by saying I'm going to wake up at 5.30 and then wake up at 5.45 with an L. And that's very important. It's good for your subconscious mind to wake up with a win. So I wake up at 5.30 in the morning or, or a little bit sooner, drink 30 ounces of water that I took up there the night before with me because I'm dehydrating at night and we all are. 30 ounces of water, shower, go downstairs, coffee, protein shake, and then go right to sending off three gratitude text messages to three people in my life that I appreciate, that have helped me, that have been there for me. And I send out those three text messages, nothing long, just four or five sentences of appreciation and hit send. I do that for two reasons. One, I want to ground myself in gratitude. Number two, I know I'm an entrepreneur, which means my day is going to be unpredictable. I may show up and the government might say, we're shutting the entire country down. Now, an employee goes, hey, no worries. I can get unemployment. I can go work from home. All good. You and I go, holy shit. <laughs> what do we do, right? So by sending out three gratitude text messages, I've guaranteed myself that if the whole day goes to shit, three people are going to reach out to me throughout the day randomly and thank me and show appreciation back to me. So I've got three good news. Stop right there, man. Where did you, when did you start doing that? And was that something you learned from a mentor or something that you just thought up on your own? I, I realized that I, I think it was accidental. I, I might've sent a gratitude text message to someone someday, just one. And I might've had, I realized, I don't remember when it was or who it was, but I was having a shitty day. And like later that evening, like hours later, like 10 hours later, man, they were like, Hey B, just getting to my text messages. Thank you so much for this gratitude text message that made my day. And I was like, wow, that person that changed my life, I did something to make their day. And after having a crappy day like this, this feels so good getting those text messages. So the most selfish thing I do, Doc, is to send out those three gratitude text messages. It's for me, not them. I mean, it is for them. Oh, no, I love it. All right. So yeah, send those out. Keep going. They're, they're yeah. Right. So, so once I sent out the gratitude text messages and I had my coffee, my protein shake, I literally sit down with my laptop, I turn my phone upside down and put it on silent, push it away from me because I'm tempted like everybody else. I've got all my notifications turned off and I go right into my laptop here and I just go onto my GSD list, my get shit done list, um, which ironically happens to be the shirt that I'm wearing today, get shit done. Um, I wrote that list the night before, before going to bed, I do a brain dump. I don't want my brain swirling around ideas. Um, if you're one of those people that sleeps at night and your brain is processing through stuff, it's because you haven't written down on a piece of paper, the three to five things you're going to do the first thing in the morning when you wake up, it's going to move the money and the meaning needle. When you do that, you've done this brain dump and your brain can relax. I wake up and I, after my water, gratitude, text messages, coffee and protein shake, I spend about two and a half, three hours doing my work, my, my GSD list. And by 9am, I'm in the gym working out. Then I get here to headquarters where I get to do fun stuff like this podcast after podcast coaching calls with clients, meeting with my team members and creative stuff. But I've done all the magical stuff, like write the promotional emails and posts and blog posts that are going to move the money needle. I love it. It's, it's sorry, like our, our routines are so, are so similar. Yeah. So I take 16 ounces of water at night with me, like a pint of water, put it on my nightstand when I get up. Same thing. I don't yeah. snooze. You get up, you just you know, start your day. I'm also a zero inbox guy. Um, you know, and I find that's a really great way. You mentioned that earlier. Well, yeah. my goal is to always have zero messages in my inbox. That's kind of how I organize my day. And I'll snooze a message if it needs to be dealt with later. If we take care of it in five minutes, I do it right then and there. Or I, 
I schedule it for a later date when it can be done. You know, I, I love all that. Talk and and you know, one thing, one thing worth sharing with your audience too, because you did say that some of them are younger medical students or just younger people in general. Look at the brain power it takes to see an email come in, hit it, read it, save it as unread, and then come back to it later. If, if you can develop enough discipline to either not read it in that moment if you can't respond, or if you're going to read it, you might as well respond. That little hack, you're closing the loop. And it's no different than having all these open loops that are taking a bandwidth in your brain. This is why you and I are far more optimized in how we do shit than someone who's got like, okay, I read nine emails, but I haven't responded to eight of them. So you're formulating the answer in the back of your head while you're trying to live your day. It's just not going to work. Totally, man. Totally. Um, talk to me a little bit about for, uh, kind of like surrounding yourself with the right people. You know, I, I always like, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or or auditing who you allow to influence your mindset. That's how I'm a big, in, in my posts, I post, talk about that a lot. You know, a lot of people talk to me, but I don't listen to a lot of people. Talk to me about how that has lended, that mindset or that process has lended its, to your success, you know? So the best thing I can do is uh, draw out a visual that I, that I learned in 2005. My, um, my wife and I had just gotten married two years earlier in 2003, and her grandparents, who were well off, offered to take the whole family on an Alaskan cruise. And so I'm like, holy smokes, this is fantastic. And I think I talk about it in Man Up, actually. But we're on this cruise. We're in Alaska. We're in Kitchikan, Alaska. We're walking along the water. And there's kind of rocks and then the water. And we see these fishermen casting a net and then pulling in uh, what looks like crabs. And one guy had a five-gallon paint bucket next to him full of water, halfway full of water. And he had like a handful of crabs in there. And he's just kind of fishing for crabs. And I'm I'm fascinated by this. And I noticed that one little ambitious crab is crawling on top of all the rest and starting to reach for the rim of that, cra of that bucket to make an escape. So I said, hey, sir, your, your crab's about to make an escape here. He's a very ambitious crab, isn't he? And without even turning around to me, he goes, watch what happens next. All the other crabs down there in the bucket reached up and grabbed it by its hind legs and pulled it right down, Doc. Now I'm sitting here, I'm slapping my wife in the arm. I'm saying that crab is me and all those other crabs in the bottom of the bucket are all the friends that I've outgrown that I still hang out with. And then I get pissed off that because they're not as ambitious and driven as me. And so you're absolutely right. You are the byproduct of the five people we hang out with the most. If we hang out with crabs, people who complain, who gossip, people who are nine to fivers when you don't, you can't be a nine to fiver, people who look forward to weekends while you and I are looking forward to Monday to have more impact and significance, there's a value mismatch. And if our values are misaligned, maybe we were friends in high school, we were buzzing, we had sleepovers, but now we don't know each other and we need to part ways and that's okay. Life comes to us in phases. And in this phase of life, I had to part ways from friends from high school. Only one guy out of dozens do I still hang out with who I surf with. His name is Chanta. He likes every post that I put up. I like every post that he puts up. He's a big believer in me. He's got a nine to five, but he's one of my biggest champions. And he, when we hang out, like unlike the other guys back in the day, they don't, they don't, he doesn't ask me when is enough enough. See, I had these guys ask me, Hey, Bedros, when is enough enough? You just started Fit Body Bootcamp. It's successful. When is enough enough? You got the software company. When is enough enough? And I realized they're trying to make me feel bad and guilty because they don't like seeing me successful because it makes them feel bad. We need to part ways. That's all. They're not bad people. 
they're just becoming human animals, just like my human animal feels offended and I want to lash out at them. So the best thing you can do is that if you want to fly with the eagles, you got to stop hanging out with the ducks and the chickens. And sometimes you have to edit the people out of your life in a very cool way. You know, there's no, I'm not going to, hey, doc, you know, you and I can't be friends anymore. Da, da, da. I'm just going to phase my way out of your life and that's it. Yeah, I th that is just such an important thing, I think, for anyone. You know, if you want to get into shape, you want to be around people who want to get into shape. You don't want to be hanging around with folks that are eating Mickey D's and Dunkin' Donuts all day long, you know, because right. they'll judge your, you know, chicken breast and broccoli, you know? That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, that's just, that's just part of life. It's a hard thing to do, you know, but it is a hard thing to do, but it's an important, it's an important thing. Yeah. Well, we all know that when you do the hard things in life, your life is easy. When totally. you do the easy things, your life is hard. Totally. One of the other things I just want to touch on that you just said was a lot of, you know, success. And I talk about this in the book that I just wrote. It's not like, it's like fitness. It's not like you don't get into shape to get out of shape. It's not like you get into shape. Like, okay, cool, man. Now I want to eat like shit and, you know, not right. anymore. you're always pushing yourself to the next level. Can I get leaner? Can I get bigger? Can I, whatever it is, you know? It's the same thing with like, you, you know, you and being driven as an entrepreneur. It's like, it's not getting more stuff and making more money. A part of it is, but it's, it's, it's about pushing yourself. You know, like you're, when you achieve a goal, it's okay. I've gotten here. Wow. I couldn't believe, I can't believe I did that. What else can I do? What's the next thing mm -hmm. that I can do? What am I capable of? How can I push my potential, squeeze the juice out of my potential a little bit more? That's what it's about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey man, uh, I know I can't I can't take up your whole afternoon, but I could I could talk to you for about another like three three hours, man. Um, would you just before we miss it, tell folks where they can find you? Um, yeah, the uh, the best place to find me is on Instagram. Is I'm, I'm I'm very active on Instagram, and I like to respond to as many DMs as possible. Um, and so Instagram is the best place to find me. And then if anyone's interested in my book, it's called Man Up, and it is for men and women. But the biggest thing I want to say, Doc, is that like the fact that you asked me to uh, get on your podcast here, I want to one, just show you appreciation and let you know how grateful I am for the opportunity because it's really guys like you and I who maybe were, maybe we were bullied. Maybe you were the valet at that place that now you're a member of that, of that community. And it's your proof that if he could do it, anyone could do it. I'm proof that if I could do it, anyone can do it. And I think more than ever today, people need to see proof, man. When I started training my first millionaire client, you know, as a personal trainer, I was like, wow, you're a millionaire. He goes, yeah. And I kind of inside, I was like, you know, like, Hey dummy, what did you think he was? He's going to have a third arm, a third leg. Like I thought millionaires were so different than me. And I realized he talked about his insecurities and how he had a hard time waking up in the mornings and how his, his marriage isn't perfect. And I was like, holy shit. Like millionaires are normal people. That means I have a chance of being a millionaire and I needed to see it to believe it. And what you're doing here, Doc, with your podcast is really giving people the opportunity to see it and they will believe it, man. So thank you for that. That's the goal, man. Hey, you know, I, in my last podcast, I said, you know, it's amazing. Like even when you go on like a platform like TikTok or something like that and you see like, you know, these like silly little videos that the resonates with a broad spectrum of people. It just shows you how much we're more similar than different. Like, you know, like the Venn diagram of our similarity, that middle part is the same in every yeah. it's that outside part that where the outliers are exactly um, right peter's two things just before i let you go man one is just talk to me about your workouts a little bit like how many days a week are you working out and what are you doing for your workouts yeah good question so at 45 i'm a little different in my workouts than i was at you know 25 and 35 but these days i work out five days a week 
Typically, my morning workout is your typical meathead, build muscle, you know, sets and reps kind of thing. Uh, I do a lot more flexibility and mobility before I start my workout. In the evenings uh, before COVID, I would do jujitsu. I would roll. Um, just great conditioning, keeps the heart rate up. These days, uh, since I haven't started rolling again, I'm hiking three, three and a half miles in the hills here in Chino Hills. Um, and I'll go in and do another workout with my, with my son, a more conditioning-based workout, flipping tires, you know, hanging leg raises, things that are going to get my heart rate really high. And uh, I found that for me, it works. Two workouts a day seem excessive, but they're not because I get my sleep, I get my protein, I, my body recovers fast because I take care of it. So two workouts a day don't break me down. And so it works for me. So you lift five days a week and you do cardio essentially five days a week? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then in terms of uh, your diet, do you cook for yourself? Do you have a cook? Do you? Uh, we, <laughs> so my cook is my wife because she's, a, she's actually a, an author and has written three recipe books, cookbooks. But these days we, uh, we get food from Icon Meals. So a big shout out to Icon Meals. Todd Abrams owns that company. I sent him my macros of how much protein, carbs, and fats I need in each meal. Uh, they're all prepackaged, vacuum-sealed foods, frozen. They show up. Uh, I microwave, and it's simple for me. Three meals during the day, and then in the morning, I have my protein shake, and at night, I have a protein shake as dessert. So it's okay. protein shake on the two ends, and then three high-protein, low-carb, moderate-fat meals throughout the day. So do you tell me your macros for the day? Like you need 200 grams of protein, yeah. grams of fat, yeah. grams of yeah. carbs. Yeah, so they have they have like custom meals like that cost a little more, or you can get the prepackaged ones that are you know here's how much fat, protein, and carbs are in them. Cool. I want to I want to check that out because that's been my been a tough for me to find like meal prep. You know. Yeah, uh, dude, it's one of those things where if I let my wife cook for me because she's such a good cook, I would just eat everything. I need. I'm like an animal. Just give me my portion and I'll eat it. Food is fuel. Yes. And I just you're you're such a super well-read guy. It's like you're you're super erudite. Like, you know, you always reference books and things that you've read or individuals that have influenced you. You don't have to like give me your top five books, but just, if you could just drop a few books, maybe something that's stuff that you're reading now, or just books you think folks should be reading. Uh, sure. All right. So let, let's get away from the norm real quick. Let's talk about Joseph Campbell, The Power of Myth. I think that will really help people evolve from a human animal to a human being. Anyone that thinks that they're a human being, you're not. You're not. We're all human animals. We have an ebb and flow between human animal and human being, and Joseph Campbell will talk about that in uh, The Power of Myth. Uh, Napoleon Hill, I believe his best book was Outwitting the Devil. It's not uh, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Highly recommend people read that. Tim Grover's book, Relentless, is a fantastic book. Uh, Maxwell Maltz, Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, that's a book that I read at least once a year. I've gone through it 12 times now, uh, and each time I'm like, that's a new page. Like that wasn't there. And that's because of the reticulator activating center in the brain picks up something that I need today in my life that I didn't need two years ago. So imagine how many books I should be rereading because of where I am in my life. Uh, and so those books right there would give someone a great foundation of the first thing that you talked about with me. You're like, man, you seem so self-actualized, so self-aware. Self-actualization comes from not just being a good marketer and salesperson. That's how you create make money. I know a lot of people who make money, but they are knuckle-dragging human animals who you take them to Vegas, put a few cocktails in them, and they're whistling at teenage girls. You know, that's absolutely uncalled for. Like, if you want to be a self-evolved, like, self-aware person, self-actualized person, understand the foundation of humanity. Understand where you came from. Understand how you're going to evolve. Understand your duty and responsibilities to humanity. And I think those books are going to set the foundation to that. I love it, man. I think that's a good place to close out, man. You know, Pedro, 
Thank you, man. This was awesome. And I really just enjoyed getting to know you better, man. It's such a, you're, you really inspire me, man. So I really enjoyed this. Well, listen, I appreciate it too. And uh, anytime you're out in Southern California, once we can start traveling again, uh, let me know. We'll gladly hang out. And if I ever come your way, um, I'd love to connect with you. Awesome, man. Cool. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.